Welcome back to another Unstoppable Video Podcast. Uh, this week we're going to talk about how running has changed Tom's life um, and continues to do so and how it's the driving force behind Unstoppable Mindset. Yeah, I mean, wow, it's it's it's, it's been a, a phenomenal part of the process and uh, a part of the process that I never envisaged being so, so um, dramatic in my life. Obviously, the Lulworth Cove run we talked about, but after that run, I came up with a saying, a slogan, which was, on the other side of commitment is something great, something life-changing. And that's something that I absolutely believe. And also, um, which is in our video, the words, anything is possible. Mm -hmm. Because I turned myself around in, 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 in such a dramatic way that actually it surprised me and it continues to surprise me today how much I have changed and how much I still continue to change. The, the running in itself, obviously, especially endurance running, is a tough and arduous task. It's just you out on the road um, battling against the elements sometimes, battling against the fatigue sometimes, um, something that a, that a team, my team, learned very well just, just this weekend, uh, just gone in, in Sussex um, because we were out there and battling again through horrendous wind. Horrendous snow. Yes, <laughs> Uh, 100 mile an hour, whatever blowing in your face. So it really is a is a mental um, a mental task. Mm -hmm. Something that can, if you pay attention closely to it, can actually toughen you up and actually enable you to deal with the voice in your head. Because when I'm running, even still now, that voice in your head, that moaning side of you, oh, this is getting tough now. Oh, mm. I want to stop. Oh, I want to slow down. That still is with me now. It's just you, if you want to get to your goal, it, and it doesn't matter what goal it is. It could be a, a life goal, work goal, and a fitness goal. You are going to get that voice in your head constantly. It's just human nature. It's just the way we're built. But if the goal is important to you, and certainly for me, changing my life was important, digging myself out of the hole that I'd created and actually moving away from the person that I looked at as weak was so important to me that I had to complete every run and I had to complete every task that I was faced. So... On the other side of commitment is something great, something life-changing, is something I learn because if you do commit, if you commit to your training, if you commit to your goals, if you commit to giving up smoking, giving up drinking, giving up drug taking, on the other side of that commitment, and it's tough, it is tough, it is hard, you're going to get days when you don't want to run, you're going to get days where you want to have a drink, where you want to have a cigarette, where you want to do drugs, you will get them days, if you can commit yourself through all of those times, on the other side mm. is something great. And it really, really is. My life now is so dramatically different. And that mentality of commitment and anything is possible, I carried that into four months later after Lulworth, into the biggest task I ever faced in my life 
up until that point, which was a marathon in Exmoor. Now, this wasn't just any ordinary marathon. It, it was voted in Runner's World magazine as the toughest marathon in the country. Mm. Now, I had never run a marathon before. I'd never wanted to run a marathon before, just due to the obvious you run a marathon and you're going to lose a hell of a lot of weight. <laughs> okay. It was so time consuming, actually training for this marathon because you're having to build yourself up to 26 miles. Now I wasn't just faced with building up road miles. I was obviously faced with the uh, knowledge of running up and down mountainous terrain. Now I'd never been to Exmoor and, um, after all the training I did, and the only hill training I did was over in Runnymede, which was the hills yeah. I've taken you to, mm -hmm. the famous hills. They're bad enough. They're bad enough. Bad enough. They're bad enough. And I've taken so many people over there, and those hills have buckled many, many people. I've mm. taken boxers over there, people that have said, yeah, I'm fit. I say, okay, all right, come over here first. Mm. And then they struggle, so I say, okay you got more work to do. So they're tough and they're tough. And every time I go over there still now, they're tough. However, when I drove into Exmoor, you could barely see the sky for how high the mountains were <laughs> down there. It, it was a beautiful day when we went down there and it reminded me of Spain. Very, very mountainous, completely stunning. But um, on approach into Exmoor, I'm not going to lie, my heart sunk. Mm. Um, looking at the terrain, I knew what I was in for and I knew that it was going to be hard. Um, and it was. But obviously rising to the challenge, I'd prepped really, really well. Mm -hmm. You know, four months after Low Earth, my eating had really started to develop into really, really clean. I was eating um, the eggs and the spinach, which has become a bit of a infamous thing at Just Train. It's a love or hate thing. Yep. Some people like it. Some people absolutely detest it. Um, I've probably put more people off boiled eggs than any man has ever put people <laughs> off boiled eggs. But um, I was eating eggs and spinach. I was consuming a lot of sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds. And I started to create this kind of mentality around food for me, like um, heart, um, tomatoes, really good for your heart. So I'm thinking if I eat a lot of tomatoes, my heart's going to beat real strong on that day, on that run, it's going to beat real strong. I made up this thing about sunflower seeds. I thought, well, okay, sunflower seeds, if you plant a sunflower seeds, you grow, grow the biggest, strongest flower that can be, right? So I'll eat loads of mm. sunflower seeds and I'll be the biggest, strongest runner there. It was just a thing that I went through in my head. I started like mentally attaching... Uh, psychologically attaching foods to just the way I felt and how I physically felt. And I was really feeling strong and eating really well. A lot of walnuts, lots of water, uh, lots of uh, fish as well at the time. And I've, on the day felt really good. So the task was set 26 miles in front of me. Um, and uh, off I went. And it was an absolute battle. But I have to say that on that day in particular... It was the best I've ever felt, even, even up until now. On that day, it was the best I'd ever felt physically. I had, um, I had a really funny bit of banter with a Spanish guy um, throughout that race um, who, was, who we were really competitive with from the very start, probably about 
maybe from about four miles in, mm -hmm. we started to have a bit of a battle. He was quite strong and I was kind of staying with him and we'd separated ourselves from the pack. Didn't have a clue where he was or I was position-wise. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how many people were in front or behind because you kind of lose track after you've been up a, a couple of those those mountain sides and the, the pain kicks in in your legs, you just <laughs> kind of start keeping your head down and you're not really paying attention too much to who's around you. Um, but this guy in particular, obviously we were, we were quite close with each other. And um, I remember having a bit of a conversation with him on, on, a, on we were going up one of the mountains and uh, he, um, he was saying how much, how much this was like Spain. He said it was very, very similar. He said, I run in Spain all the time and obviously the sun was out. So, but in my mind, obviously the, the banter was nice, but I'm thinking I'm gonna take you in a minute. I'm gonna take you and sure enough, I'd take him. I'd get tired and then he'd come past me. And that kind of went on back and forward for the whole race. It was quite good. Mm -hmm. He pushed me and I pushed him. So got to about the kind of 20 mile mark. And by this time, I'm really starting to feel that, that long distance kind of endurance kicking in and that wear and tear on my legs. My toe, obviously, was starting to really feel the strain and my foot was starting to ache and I wasn't really picking up my feet as well. So I kept clipping my, my foot and my toe on rocks mm. and kept stubbing it. So I was starting to really wear down and I was starting to slow down and I was starting to see a pack behind me starting coming up, which is crazy, actually. You realise you slow down and in four minutes you can start to see people coming up behind you. So you may have a five, six minute lead and that can slowly, but surely, well, quite quickly, that can start to come, come, come down. Um, I got to kind of, I think it must have been about the 24th or 5th mile, so mm. very, very close to the finish, and I was finished. I was done. And it was actually at this point, I'd, I'd been saying to people um, leading up to this run about how there's always more. No matter how tired you are, there's always more. And people were kind of winding me up before I say, okay, well, we hope you, you adopt that <laughs> in the marathon. So I said, yeah, of course, you know, I'll adopt that. But actually at this point I was thinking, do you know what? I ain't got anything left. I've got nothing left. I'm done. My feet were like kicking every rock and stone that I was coming. I really wasn't picking up my feet. So I'm on this like a narrow verge, so beautiful. Just literally, it's all rockery there. You can see the sea out there, sun is shining. I'm thinking, geez, I want this to be over now. I'm, I'm literally hurting real bad. There's nothing left in the tank. And I just thought, you know, I'm just going to coast it in now. I've got nothing left. I can't pick it up and I didn't want to pick it up. I'd resigned myself to this kind of crawl that I was doing. And next thing I know, <laughs> Mr. Spanish comes whipping past me, a big <laughs> smile on his face, kind of said something like, hola, <laughs> and uh, give me a little wave. And I'm like, oh, you bastard. <laughs> the first thing in my head was just let him go. That was the very first thing. It was almost like immediate, like, let him go. You cannot even do this. He come past me quite strong. I thought, nah. But then almost immediately I thought, Tom, you will not live that down. You know, I, no one would know about this. This mm. is the thing with me. No one would know. This is not something I'm going to come around and say, yeah, I battled with a Spanish guy and then he beat me. I'm not going to come around, you know, and say that necessarily. So no one would have known that at the last minute he beat me, but I would have known. And I also knew, and it was ingrained, 
that on the other side of commitment was something great, mm. something life-changing. I also knew that anything is possible if you really dig deep, if you really push hard. And I also knew 100% that there is always more in the tank. So the strategy immediately was let him hear my breathing. So I literally stayed as close as you can stay behind a runner without mm. tripping him. Mm. That close. So he heard my footsteps and he heard my breathing. And I knew from past miles that I had the pace to beat him. So I stayed with him until a certain point where I knew we were quite close to the finishing line. And I didn't actually know how close we were, but I was just roughly gauging it on my watch, which could have been slightly wrong because sometimes the GPSR. Mm -hmm. um, and I just waited. We came to a verge that was kind of going downwards. And I thought, right, that is it. You are getting it. And mm -hmm. I put my foot down as hard as I can. And I smoked the Spanish guy. And I ran and I ran and I ran. The mis one mistake I made was because of my foot, I've become so in tune with my body and focusing on the ground. And you must understand that in Exmoor, this whole trail run is is the worst terrain that you can imagine. You've got tree stumps, rocks everywhere. Every downward that you run down, bear in mind it's, you know, you're going over five, five and a half thousand feet up, but then you're going five and a half thousand feet down. And that five and a half thousand feet down is rocks, slippery, mud, nothing solid. You're, you, you know, you've got trail shoes on for grip, but literally one, one wrong move and you're a goner. And, and I was running along people that were literally stacking it, mm -hmm. like literally just falling over tree stumps a lot. So, I was, on, I was in tune with myself the whole time, watching the floor at all times. But when it came to obviously beating this guy, I was like focused on speed and focused on winning against this guy. So I went for it. I think I got right down to the bottom of this verge and my ankle just went snap straight over. I kind of whether hit a rock or hit something that was uneven and I felt a crack had a wincing pain go up right through to my neck. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, that hurt. That really mm. hurt. My immediate inclination was stop. You've just broken your foot or you've done something to your foot. You've twisted your, I don't know what I'd done. I knew it hurt. That was the immediate inclination was the sensible, was the safety side of me was stop, Tom, you're injured. But then the unstoppable mindset <laughs> kicks in. The anything is possible kicks in. The grit kicks in. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, you got a Spanish man <laughs> right behind you coming up. And I'm crossing that finish line and that's that. So surely I did. I've still got the photo now of me kind of coming round, limping through into the finishing line. By that point, I saw it, so I kind of slowed down. And it was quite funny, actually, because... My fiance Danny, she was waiting for me at the finish line. I've crossed the finishing line and collapsed to the floor in pain. And I'm like, oh no, I'm I'm like busted here. And she's come over to me, she's like, get up, get up, what are you doing? What are you doing on the floor? I'm not paying, I'm not paying. She says, get up, They'll register your number. And then the stewards come over and he's saying, get up. And I'm like, I don't think they realise I've broken my ankle. So anyway. <laughs> I lied there for a minute and it was lovely. I remember this point clearly. It was nice because bearing in mind, like I say, first marathon ever, mm. the Spanish guy came in and he came straight over to me and he shook my hand. And he said that in his lovely Spanish accent, the man, 
he said, you had way too much speed for me at the end. He said, fair play. And I was like, do you know what? That, that lived with me, that did. Mm. Because it was a nice thing. It was just nice to have some respect from another runner. And the whole running thing for me, right at that point, it, it just all fell into place. It's like, do you know what? I, I love this. Mm. I love this so much. This buzz and this camaraderie that you get out there and... You know, these runners, especially in trail runs, and I know it's in all runs, all runs are hard, don't get me wrong, but some of these trail runs, they're so physically demanding on your on your legs, your mind, you know, your heart, your spirit. It's a test of everything. It's not just a test of endurance. It's a test of strength and it's a test of heart and grit. So to have that respect from a runner who was, um, you know, a seasoned runner, no doubt, I'm sure, um... To, to be finishing in the top five anyway, um, was a great thing. Um, shortly after that, obviously, I, um, I came round to, to... They do, like, a check, which um, I didn't actually really know about, <laughs> um, unfortunately, which was a, um, a problem. In, so at the minute you've come in... Well, at the minute, it, no, they didn't oh. actually know. My fiance Danny, she thought I came in third. The steward was saying, no, you came in fifth. My fiance was saying, no, definitely not fifth. She came in fourth. Anyway, I, I didn't care right then. I was in a lot of pain. And they were going to check through my kit, which me being me, a bit of budget and scarpa, I didn't know that you had to take mandatory kit. I kind of did, but I didn't know it was that serious. What's the kit? So the mandatory kit is you have to carry water, which I did. However, there was a problem with that because I had two packs which carried two litres of water in and I couldn't suck the water out of the straw for being so out of breath. I was getting so agitated that I couldn't have a drink and I was up on these mountains and it was about the 8th of April, which and it was cold at the start of the race down the bottom, but up, it was so high at the top, you could actually feel the heat. So I couldn't get any water, so I ripped one two-litre bag out of my pack at one point drank out of the actual ripped opened the kind of um nozzle uh, mm. thing drank it out and poured the rest over my head chucked it on the mountainside another few miles in ripped the other one out drank that and chucked that on the mountainside so when i crossed the finish i had no water so they saw they saw it as i had no water in so i got a cross against my name for that so you have to have water you have to have water and they're looking at me saying you had no water you carried no water so they they gave me a cross a mark against my name the next thing you had to have 20 pounds um i didn't take any money <laughs> i don't know what do i need money for i didn't so, need money I'm out for a run so why do you need the money it, well you got to understand, when you're out in Exmoor, you're mm. out in the middle of nowhere and you do run through right. the odd village. So if you were struggling, you could probably get a taxi or an Uber, <laughs> which I contemplated at times. Um, but you could buy a drink, buy food, whatever. It's just a bit of safety money and you have to have a hat. I don't wear hats, all right? It's just the way it is. Yeah. I don't wear caps and I don't wear hats. So I didn't get one. Um, so I got a cross against my name for that. Um, for the hat, for the money, for the water. And shortly after that, when I was waiting for my position to come in, um, I, when it did come in, which is like a few hours later, I looked through and my name wasn't on the list. Oh, so I was like, oh man, what's gone on here? So we looked all the way down at the very, very bottom and there's my name. At the very bottom. And my name at the very bottom. It was my name, my number, and my time. 
So I was like, they haven't positioned me because of the mandatory kit. So, so you're not being disqualified. I've not been disqualified. So they, kept your time. they kept they keep your time, but they but will don't not give you a position. Which was very harsh. Now, bearing in mind by this point, I've got um, a busted foot. Uh, so imagine this: you've got 26 miles you've just run. You're really tired, and I'm literally now having to hop on one leg. I couldn't put weight down on my right right leg, so I had to hop on one leg for the remainder of the time, which was putting me in a really bad mood. Thank God, the oddly enough, again, you want to fate or whatever it is, the B&B that we were staying in, the woman had, I hobbled in, obviously after the ride, she goes, oh, do you know what? I've got a crutch out the back if you want it. <laughs> she said, I've had it in there for years. It's been sitting there from someone that left it years ago. I'm like, yes, please. So I had one crutch to kind of lean on, but I was hobbling around all afternoon and uh, hobbling around all the next day. Um, and then obviously we drove home, obviously heading to A&E by this point from Exmoor, go back home to, to A&E. But on the car on the way, in the car on the way home, we looked at the positions, I looked at the numbers, I wasn't positioned. I'd actually worked it out as I was fourth at the time, and I, I can't, I won't go into it, but I announced that I was fourth, but actually I was fifth. Right. which was still an amazing achievement for a first marathon yeah, ever. Absolutely. Uh, the total amount of run-ins was about 180 runners. And I actually Google searched the top, the, the guy that won it. There was a woman that came third who was awesome, who I actually was ahead of until about 24 miles when I really started to slow down. And she came past me, this woman, like an absolute bullet. But I searched all of them and looked into their history and they were all elite runners that were running, you know, um, you know, sub three hour marathons, two hour 40 marathons. The guy that won it, who actually, you know, which was a testament to how hard it was, he collapsed. He had to have medical attention when he finished. He, he came in, crossed the finish line first and just collapsed with exhaustion. And he was, he was a big guy, actually. And I spotted him at the start and I said to my fiance, I said, that's the winner right there. <laughs> he, was, he was about six foot five of shredded muscle and he, you just saw his legs and you knew that he was going to be powering up. And when we set off, he was a goner. Mm. So he came first, collapsed. So that, that shows you how hard it was. I came fifth which was an amazing achievement, broken foot. I was very gutted that they didn't um, finish, uh, post my time, but that is exactly why in three weeks' time yep. I'm going to be doing it again. How well I'll do is another matter. Right. But, um, you know, this whole journey, again, this, this really cemented the mindset for me. You know, I, after, um, with the broken foot, um, which it was, it was broken in, in two places, I had a cast on, which I had to have on for eight weeks. And now this was a new learning curve for me because you understand now that unstoppable mindset was really taking shape into this whole kind of fighting attitude that, you know, for you to achieve your goal, for you to, you know, battle against the demons of life, you have to fight on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Now running up until this point was my savior. It was something that I needed for therapy. And now it was taken away from me overnight. Right. So I had to enter this new phase of Unstoppable, which was patience. I had to be patient. I couldn't run anymore. So I was like, okay, how am I gonna, how am I gonna deal with this? How am I gonna carry on being Mr. Positive and being this person without the running? 
and it was another learning curve for me. It was, um, you know, it, it was a, another part of the process. And the 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 interesting thing was for me that it, I just the way I got through it was I started to see ahead. I started to envisage the end goal more. So as well as me focusing on the the right, the here and the now and complaining about the broken foot, mm -hmm. it was a case of like, this will come to an end. You will get there. Again, on the other side of commitment is something great, something life-changing. Fast forward to now, mm -hmm. everything I've gone through, the broken foot, the hard times, the tough times, if you endure it all and if you get through it, the only thing that happens is you get mentally stronger. Yeah. You know, they say, most motivational speakers, they will say, you know, failure is learning. Okay, and it's something that I absolutely believe. Mm -hmm. Failure is learning. Every single failure can be learned from. Every single hardship in life can be learned from. And one thing that running does, it makes you pay attention to that. When you're out running 26 miles, you will go through lots of different periods. You'll go through a good patch mm -hmm. and you can get a full sense of security like I did at 15 miles. I'm feeling like superhuman. I'm thinking this is easy. I'm thinking I'm absolutely going to smash this marathon. This ain't, this ain't nothing for me. Yep. Then you get to 20 miles and a, 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 a learning experience for me, and if so, anyone's done endurance running and a lot of people refer to it in marathon training as hitting the wall, it can come at you fatigue in seconds. You can be feeling good at 25 miles and you can be feeling like death at 26 miles. Mm. You can be feeling good at 15 miles, feel like death at 16. Ask anyone that does endurance, they'll say the same thing. So, so then you enter a new phase of, right, coaching yourself through it, coaching yourself through the hard times. And again, I mentioned in the podcast before that this is applicable to life. Mm. And this is how I approach everyday life now. I'm fully aware that life will throw good times at you, but most definitely it will throw bad times at you. It doesn't matter how good things get. Um, you know, the likes of Jade, uh, one of the one of the young girls that um, has changed her life. She's spoken in, in my seminars. Mm -hmm. She's also learned that it doesn't matter how good you get and how good life can be, it will come at you still. Yep. It will come at you hard. Um, and I think everyone faces that. And again, you you must you must learn to develop a. A, a toughness about you mm -hmm. if you want to survive the current climate. Yeah. And today's society, I personally think, is absolutely brutal. So, you know, running is a driving force behind Unstoppable Mindset because it helped me create it and understand that you can be unstoppable in the face of adversity. Broken foot, you can still carry on. Yeah. Pain, you can still carry on. Take that attitude into your life. Even if you don't go through that process, you can learn through the process that I, I went through and that I teach and it is basically this, life is hard, learn how to deal with it, learn how to get through it, set your goals, know where you want to be in life, where you want to go in life, have a clear vision of where you want to go, and then commit, because on the mm. other side of commitment is something great, something life-changing, and from personal experience now, anything is possible. That's perfect. But um, 
on the next uh, next episode, we're, we'll go more into detail of the actual Unstoppable Mindset seminars as well and, and the people that you've helped um, and just give everyone a better idea of you know, how that all works. Um, Brilliant. And how that helps motivate people and help how it's changed their lives because like we said, you've had some of the people doing the run this weekend um, who have never ran neither. That's right. Um, That's right. Everyone's doing stuff half, for the first half time. Ma- half marathon. Yeah, half running. marathon for the first time ever. Some of them. Ten yeah. k for the first time ever. Some of them. With with you know with minimal training, they've just kind of been thrown in at yeah. the deep end. In which fact, is just using the unstoppable mindset that you've installed onto them. Absolutely. Yeah. And the thing is, now it's not just me. I'm not even going to take credit because it was it was Mac, a client of mine. She said, "I'm going to do the 10k," and then shortly followed her other ladies that do it. So. Everyone here now at Just Train is embracing the unstoppable mindset and they're kind of all motivating each other. Right. And they're all doing things outside of their comfort zone and they are all learning that anything's possible if you put your mind to it. It's dead, dead simple. Yes. And, it, and it really, really is. And this isn't new knowledge. This isn't even my knowledge. It's knowledge that I've learned from my own journey. But, you know, it's a, it's a lot of what other speakers will say and yeah. other people will say, but... Um, I've just gone through it in a completely unique way to me. So that's obviously my message now that comes across is that from breakdown, anything is possible. Welcome to episode four of the Unstoppable Mindset video podcast. Uh, Today I just want to talk to Tom about bad habits and addiction because he's packed in a, a few habits um definitely and i don't just mean that you know the drugs and stuff also mean you even packed in coffee yeah change that yeah which was the hardest one to give up coffee yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out of all of them <laughs> just, yeah it was yeah man geez i still miss it i think um it's really really hard for me uh, you know because again everything everything that i've gone through um and experience is is you know, I haven't had, I haven't had anyone, no one told me I was an addict. Uh, they didn't say, oh yeah, you've got a problem, you've got an addiction, or, you know, it wasn't a case of a, a medical professional. So when I look at someone like a, you know, if I look at like a heroin addict, for example, or someone addicted to crack cocaine, mm. and how much that they destroy their life and mm. everybody else is around them, potentially they have family and friends, um, then I, obviously I wasn't in that league, you know, and I, and I, and I, there is a, was a lot of, there is a lot of people with serious, serious addictions and mm. it's a, it's a tricky subject on it, on its, in its own right, because you'll, you'll hear a lot of, you'll hear a lot of, uh, professionals even say that it's a disease. And then I've, I've, I've looked, I've watched, you know, conversations on certain internet um, sites where addicts are saying, look, it's not my fault, I've got a disease. And even parents, um, I, I watched a thing with a dad whose son had died and said he had a disease. Why, why did he not have help when mm-hmm. every other disease, when you have a disease, everyone else gets help. And it has been proven that after a set period of time, the uh, chemical structure in the brain is altered, so it's the choice element is taken out of it. So 
and this isn't my opinion, and I'm very on the fence with it, really. I can get it. I yeah. get it. But then, obviously, if you go back to the origins of, of the person, they weren't born with that disease. So that's obviously the issue, and that's where a lot of arguments start. So, yeah, what they'll say is, obviously, the chemical structure is altered. Choice is taken away, so they'll just they'll just take drugs on impulse. There's, they, mm. there's, there's nothing they can do about it, and they'll keep doing it until they die. So, so obviously... The reason I say that is obviously I wasn't on that, that same level, but I did get to a point when I realised, well, oh, I'm actually addicted. And I was addicted in the way that I just couldn't, I'd lost my ability to socially interact without it. Um, the thought of going anywhere without it would cause me to be anxious. Mm. Um and so I became very dependent on it. Um, and then obviously after a long period of time, it, 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 it then filled, it filled, when it starts to filter into normal life. So you might use it when you go out and you might use it when you, you know, like at a special occasion, then when you start using it, when you're sitting in and everything else. And that goes on for like a good amount of time. So over a year, I think it's fair to say you fall into the addictive bracket but I'd say that there's lots of different levels, perhaps, of, of addiction. But the, the main addiction for me that caused, that, like I say, I think was really damaging to the health was, was steroids. And again, that's, that's a really unknown thing because I sought medical help for that and they just did not have a, a clue. They didn't have a clue. They actually advised me not to stop um, because they said your hormones would be so fucked up, you'll end up like, you'll mm. just end up going balmy which is actually what happened. <laughs> what did. Yeah, it's actually what happened, <laughs> which is mad. Um, so that there's no, there's no method. There's, they don't know how to do it. They can't prescribe you the steroids to, to wean off. There's, there's no, there's no protocol. So, so again, there's lots of different types of addictions uh, that I think people have, and some addictions, they also like I think bad habits and addictions. They, they, they fall closely together, and having a bad habit and having addictive behavior even um, are very close. Mm. Being a full-blown addict and having a bad habit is slightly different. And I'll try and share some light on what I think. And again, this is my view on, on what I think. So if I give you like a bit of insight to, 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 to both of my addictions, like the steroid thing, that became an addictiveness because I couldn't live, I couldn't accept myself mm. or my body. I had to be a certain way. And then I became addicted to that look. That's what I became addicted to. If that's even the right term to say. So if I lost a few pounds, I'd need my steroid fix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with a junkie, um, you know, someone that's like constantly on crack, when they start to sober up, they get really anxious and they need a fix and they need to get back to that place. My behavior was so, so similar, mm. just in a, in a different way. Like, oh my God, oh my God, look, my T-shirt feels loose. This man, look at me, look, this, mm. I'm really skinny, look at my face, da 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 da, -da. Get, get some stories, inject, inject, inject. And I just couldn't get off. And that cycle went on for three years and you, you know, just me saying it now, probably you, you could understand. It's just, it was torment. I didn't want to do it. That's the thing. 
And perhaps there's so many cocaine addicts and even smokers and mm. that just don't really want to do it. You know, it's like almost like there's a subconscious in all of us saying, come on, you know, you, you could die. The, the stats are out. Everyone knows now the risks. But you just carry on, carry on because you, you can't stop. So very, very similar in that sense. Um, the difference between, you know, the le the levels, I think, is you've got to look at this. If someone's a sh How do you know if someone's a sugar addict or someone just like sugar? A sugar addict, that you know, they're obese. To me, someone that's obese is on the same level as a heroin addict. I put them in the same... I put them in the same bracket. They are literally consuming mm. that drug daily in in extraordinary amounts, like in excess. And they're on the, and they're on the verge of death. And and that's I don't know, agree or not agree, but obesity is the uh, lead preventable death in this in this country, mm. in the Western society. So we know that it's a problem. And if you, and again, if you do your research now, as well as right back when this all started, obesity, right? You've got to cut down on the fat. You can't eat fat. It's not, it's sugar. And um, sugar is the most powerful drug of all drugs, I think. Mm. That's my honest view. And when you say about what was the hardest thing, I said caffeine, well, actually, Actually, you could argue sugar because, now I'm no sugar addict, I don't really even have a sweet tooth, but could I cut out sugar altogether, forever? I actually, but I don't know that I could. It would be really tough. I can go through two to three to four weeks, but at some point you're just drawn back to it. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing because you know, you just, yeah. everyone just wants that little sweet something. Um but I, I was reading a passage in a book recently and, and um, it, it's a guy who's basically anti-sugar. But he, he, and he made a real good point and it's true. When you give a, a baby, when you give a baby sugar for the first time in the form of a chocolate, what happens? I'm asking you, like, I don't even know that you're going to answer. I don't remember. <laughs> no, but, but if you, have you ever seen someone when they're, or a child with an ice cream in their mouth, how engaged are they in that ice cream and that chocolate? You've seen I, I think, yeah, massively uh, engaged. Well, listen, think about it. Watch next time. This is what I'm saying, you know, in the mental health podcast that mm. we did. Open your eyes. If you look around, is sugar a problem? Is it, is it, a, is it a toxic chemical? Is it, is it a drug? Right? What happens when you do your first line of Coke, Brooks? What happens? <laughs> do, do your eyes light up? Do you suddenly like, whoa? Oh, yeah. yeah, party time, right? Right, yeah. Right now, give a now give a baby a chocolate and watch what happens to them. Never had chocolate before for the very first time. Now I know from the, the same very thing. the same thing. I haven't thought of it like that. It, it is it's scary. And yeah. when I read that, I thought, Do you know what? I remember the first time I gave my little Caitlin Nutella. My goodness me, the whole world stopped. She didn't see me. She didn't see her mum. She didn't see the world around them. The birds stopped tweeting. She didn't even see the sun. She was fully immersed and engaged in Nutella. And <laughs> that, that filthy, very tasty, not going to lie, mm. but that filthy, dirty snack. I can't stand Nutella. Well, you know, <laughs> this is the problem with the society. It's advertised on TV and, and, and misinterpreted, false advertising. It's full of sugar. 
um, which is why it tastes the way it does. Mm. And I've actually got another interesting thing that I want to put out there to anyone listening to this now with this whole sugar thing, right? Have a real think about this. Go a bit deep in this, right? Do you like red velvet cake or are you addicted to sugar? Do you like galaxy chocolate or are you addicted to sugar? Do you like cupcakes or are you addicted to sugar? Well, what do you think? Do you I even get I don't know. There's some sweets that I, I couldn't stand. Okay. Well, listen. Take the sugar out of all of those products and you don't like red velvet cake no more. And you don't like cupcakes no more. And let me tell you straight that galaxy chocolate does not taste as good as what it does without the sugar in it. Mm. Dormio, the company that make the pasta sauce, come under massive fire uh, recently. I think it was last year because of the sugar content of their product. Again, people listening to the podcast, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I'm no doctor. I'm no scientist. This is just my view. Go and research it. Mm. Then when you find someone saying the same thing, don't take my word and don't take their word. Research it again. Then when you found three people saying the same thing and they're not selling or endorsing a product, yeah. then do one thing. Then come to your own conclusion. Okay? Dormir put sugar in their sauce because they know it lightens up your brain and your mouth. Mm. And the sugar industry is a trillion dollar industry in just in general because of one fact, because you can't compete. Brooks, if you make a pasta sauce without sugar in it, it ain't never gonna taste as good as the one with the, uh, with the sugar in it. Right. So, so you've got all these people hooked on sugar um, that don't even know they're hooked on sugar. Uh, and it's only when you take it out, and I've seen people do the 14-day challenge where you know, people have cut out sugar and they have had serious headaches, sweats, and shakes from doing it. Everyone's had a headache in the first few days, but some people have had worse. So, you know, this, this whole kind of addictive bad habit um, culture there's there's just so much to it and mm. and sugar is obviously one of the ones that is right up there and it's probably the most underestimated one um how do you know if you're an addict or if you've got a bad habit it's basically i think a bad habit certainly is something that is um counterproductive to your health so if you're doing something on a regular basis for example like sitting watching tv is a bad habit mm. if it's done all the time mm. it's a bad habit that could lead to weight gain um you know and just generally being unfit which has loads of issues potentially related to that so there's many many things it's 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 really a case for the individual i think like what i did to to try and again go a little bit kind of um start looking within Acknowledge maybe that you're not feeling too great and then look at what you're doing. Actually, yeah, I do eat chocolate too much like, and maybe I'm doing it for comfort or I drink alcohol and that's starting to become on a regular basis because you've got to be really careful. Bad habits can form addictions. Mm. I, I couldn't really say that taking steroids 
is a good habit. It's a habit that I started initially just for an eight week period mm. until I fully got hooked on the feeling and the look. And then it became an, uh, an obsession and an addiction. I'm sure the person that gives their child um, a chocolate bar for the first time doesn't expect that when they grow up, they'll get type one diabetes. Mm. And, and, and that's, you know, these, these things happen. It wasn't their fault. They were just giving the child a treat, mm. but that child grew up to love sugar in the disguise of a chocolate bar. And they decided when they're old enough, I'm gonna eat more of that, plus the cakes, plus this. And then you've got loads of other products hidden and they, they become addicted to sugar and they ended up overweight, obese, diabetes and so on. So it's um in, in my industry, I'm I'm confronted with people on a daily, daily basis that are kind of addicted or on the verge or just have bad habits. Mm. Um and they're tough um to break, as I found out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Sugar is a out of all the things I've gave up, sugar. Or just eating clean is the same thing, isn't it? Giving up sugar, it's uh, it's a tough one. It is, it is tough, and it's it's hard. This is the crazy thing. Like you, even when you, the way you say it, say, oh, when I'm eating clean, right? Because that is cutting out sugar. You know? I, I know, I know, but it should just be quite simply referred to, really. And I mean, even I'll, I'll use it. Yeah, you've got to eat clean because it's the language that people understand. It just eat normally. Yeah. Just eat normally, and that's it. And then, so what's okay? What's eating normally? I say, well, really, eating normally is nothing in a box. Mm. You know, if a company made it and if they endorse it and they promote it, I'd say that's the least normal way. And the reason I'll say that, and where I think you know that that could stand, is because in in evolution and history, that's the shortest. Uh, we've only been doing that, say, for fifty years, say. Right, we've only been eating that way for fifty years, so that's got to be the least normal way. Then you've got to then look at the stats of in the last fifty years, all the amount of illnesses that have increased. So I'm pretty much right to say, well, that's definitely not normal. That's definitely we've gone from normal eating, where some indigenous tribes still eat that way in a healthy and normal, mm -hmm. and don't have arthritis, high cholesterol, blood pressure, obesity. They don't have any of that, so they're still eating normal. We're eating abnormally. But then we class eating normal as diet, as eating clean, as something out of the ordinary. And we also see it as a big, big sacrifice. And I think that's one of the hardest things when trying to break a bad habit or an addiction is if you initially see it as a big sacrifice. Mm. Um, what helped me make changes and I suppose give up what I did is I just refused to waste any more years of my life. And... I see so many people doing the same thing. I see so many people kind of in this literally cycle of pure frustration with themselves because they can't say no. They can't find the strength to make the right choice for long enough to make a big difference. I've seen so many people do my 14 day challenge and feel amazing and in, in a month's time be back to square one and faltering because Sugar has a grip on them. Alcohol has a grip on them. Um, you know, and then you've got all the other things also that have a grip that cause problems like smoking and drugs and stuff like that. Mm. I mean, not many people are quite open about the drug side of things, but yeah. So it's very, very tough. 
to 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 make them changes um unless you unless you summon up that kind of that that deepness from yourself that that you just do not want to live like that anymore and that has to become an obsession and i don't know how to instill that to, into someone the reasons for these podcasts and the reason for these seminars is to to say guys i did it and i was one of the weakest you know, people will say, Tom, you, you know, the whole running marathon thing and the, the mental strength. I've always been able to train hard and I've, I've, I've got a toughness about me, probably instilled from boxing, maybe. Mm. I got into a few fights at school, so I've always had a toughness about me. But And maybe that's, that's come through. But where I've been weak is that I started to destroy my body. I knew that I was destroying my body and I couldn't do anything about it. And I, and I use the word weakness in my seminars, and I don't mean it ever to disrespect someone, but I, th there is a weakness element to the whole bad habit addiction thing. And it comes like this. If you know that you are causing yourself a problem, i.e. you're looking you know, three stone overweight, you feel like shit, and you're just tired, and you feel fed up, and you feel insecure, but you can't do what's necessary to change and you know what to do. Mm. You know, people say, well, they know, you know what to do. You know what foods to eat. I, I don't buy that ever. People say, I don't know what to do. I think everyone knows what to do. They just haven't got the strength because everyone around them is eating crap. Everyone around them is eating drink and they don't want to be the odd one out. They don't want to be the black sheep. Mm. When actually being the black sheep in this society, you're on, you're, you're on a winner. Like I think I think now I've taken myself well out of the ordinary, and I'm and I do feel that I'm now different. Before I was just one of everybody else. I was a fake personal trainer that hid a lot of bad habits behind behind closed doors mm. that I'm very ashamed of, and I didn't have the strength to do anything about it, even though I knew my mind was deteriorating and my health was deteriorating. So now I'm coming through in these seminars, like come on, <laughs> fight, fight. Just get up and fight. Otherwise, you're heading for disaster. Stop saying tomorrow. Stop saying I'll do it next week. Because I know too many people that have used those words. You know, I'll give up. You know, they've been addicted. You know, you're aware you're addicted. You've got a bad habit. I'll give up tomorrow. I'll give up tomorrow. Lung cancer, heart attack, type 1 diabetes. Boom. And then they're like, fuck, fuck. Mm. And, then it's, and then depression. Then, yeah, God, then you've got a reason. You're going to be depressed. You're going to feel really, really frustrated with yourself. And, and that's exactly what happened to me. You wake up in a hospital, put everyone around you in tears, per family, kids, shattered their lives. You've got to then say, fuck's sake, what are you mm. doing? Stop being so weak. You know, get up and do something with yourself. And that's what drives me even still now. Even still now to grow, to get stronger, and to learn as much as I can now for the rest of my career to pass the information on. Bad habits can be broken. Addictions can be conquered. But my God, you do have to find some strength from somewhere. Uh, you know, the, the caffeine for me, um, and you know, you like the odd <laughs> coffee, right? Yeah, and I've, you, cut, you, I've you, cut down a lot. I know, I know, but even then, even then, you know, you can feel it's not easy, right? No. no. So... Anyone out there that's a coffee drinker, it's not a problem necessarily, okay? And in fact, perhaps you could argue nothing's a problem unless it's a problem, mm. right? So 
I don't know, one line of coke once a month, right? It's not going to kill you. So could you say it was, could you, can you say it's a problem? If someone just did that, I'm not saying it's right, but could you say it's a problem? Mm. Puts it quite tough then, right? Yeah. So for me, what I was doing was a problem. It was destroying my health, destroying my mind. When it came to the caffeine thing, the reason I started to look so deeply at the caffeine is because I changed so much. I was eating really well, but I didn't feel that great still. Um, I felt much, much better. But obviously I'm coming in these seminars saying, guys, you know, clean living, you feel amazing, da, 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 which 100% I did. But there was a little bit of an underlying thing still. And I'm like, mm, something's not right. It's not, it's not as it should be. I was still getting like waves of tiredness and I was still a bit ratty. Mm. And some days I would feel a bit, I could get a bit stressed and a bit angry still. And I'm thinking, okay, strong black coffee all day long. Is it a problem? Okay, I think it is. You know, if once I've had about two or three, I do start to feel a bit edgy. I'm always a bit hotter, um, not as calm. So, okay, I'm going to try and give it up. And just I need to, I need to know if it's a problem. And I think if I give it up and there's no change, then it's not a problem. So mm -hmm. I would have it back in my life. Yeah. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. So again, for me, I, 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 no one told me to do it. I decided to find out if it was a problem. And again, before I carry on, that's what we talked about in mental health. What are you doing? Can you not just look at yourself for a minute and look at everything, okay? And be brave and strong enough to maybe eliminate some things despite everyone else doing it, despite everyone saying, go on, you can have a drink. Say, no, I need to know if I'm causing myself a problem. So after weeks and weeks, which seemed like years, of actually symptoms of depression, <laughs> which again, seriously, I mean, symptoms, and I stress, symptoms of depression from giving up caffeine. Mm. A lot, you know, I was feeling really down. Didn't rush to the GP, just realized what I was doing. Hang on a minute, you're just gonna have to ride this out, stay calm, get through the days, and I did. A zombie sleeping all the time, brain shut off completely. Couldn't wake up in the morning at all. Like, I mean, I was coming here, doing my class, going to sleep, doing the next class, going home, going to sleep. And that was for four weeks solid. Very frustrating because I'm very creative at the minute and trying to write things and do things. Mm. Very frustrating. Nearly broke several times. And it wasn't till about the fifth week I started to feel human, just human, all right, and I thought, okay, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I did feel a lot different. I started to feel calmer, more relaxed. Then in the sixth week, my fiance rocks up home with a Nutribullet, which was my saving grace. Because what I did, I'd lost my morning ritual. Mm. Get up in the morning, half asleep, go down kettle, sit in bed and sit that coffee like, and oh, it was I'm just- still doing oh, that. I love it and I miss it. I miss it. I'm not even gonna lie, I miss it. I miss it, miss it, miss it, right? I just feel like I've gave up so many things. I don't want to give up coffee. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I know I definitely you know, should or at least just reduce it massively. I have, well, I have reduced it massively. Yeah. Um, down to maybe three, sometimes four cups. Yeah. But 
that's a lot less than what I was drinking. Is, I was drinking between eight and ten yeah. with two teaspoons of oh, he was an coffee. Addict. So he that's was, he was an addict. Well, that was ridiculous. When I reduced that, I'd never suffered. I, I don't get headaches, but when I reduced that yeah. coffee down to the three or four a day, ooh, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Which, which again, I mean, if 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 you if you wanted to be like um, what like what I'm saying, self-aware. I'm like, that's not good. Like for me, for me, like I'm not, I'm not, I don't impose. What I didn't I, even think of it until you, I didn't even look. I didn't even look to think how much, how much coffee am I actually drinking? Just it never dawned on me. And it weren't until you stopped and then I thought about it. It was like, well, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> well, again, I mean, you know, it is, but again, it's, it's, it's just an individual thing. I think, we're living in a free society, right? Do what you want. Go and get drunk every day and drink 10 coffees a day. It doesn't affect my life. I'm saying to anyone out there, you know, if you're feeling a certain way or anything, you know, if you're feeling any sort of negative emotion or physical ailment, look at yourself first and look at what you're doing. And if you're brave enough and bold enough to say, okay, Right, because you can do research, do your own research. This is the thing, do your research on caffeine. There's pros and cons. There's pros and cons. Yeah, it's, that's it, the problem. I've it increases the pros on it. It increases, it, it can increase stress. It increases, it, it, it's like an adrenaline uh, for me. You know, it does give you a buzz. Increases body temperature and all sorts. So it, it's a powerful stimulant. Um, and then taking it out and reducing it and getting headaches, again, f f for for me, was like, okay, that's serious, right? That's right. You don't, you don't, you could eat 10 apples a day Hmm. for the next year and then go down to one and you won't get a headache so we know that it's not normal right it's not it's it's a chemical then there's something so it's stuff like that that makes you think okay it shouldn't be there it just shouldn't be there so yeah when i came off of it and started um changing my morning ritual from sitting in bed for an hour drinking coffee to like going downstairs and chopping up veg and making nutri bullets i started to get my energy back um, the biggest thing for me, and is what makes me stay off of it, is the calm, is the calmness. Uh, I'm definitely calm. I just, it was that last thing. There was just an edginess still about me. And um, I'm definitely calmer. But uh, it's very tough. And like I say, anyone out there. I hope my wife doesn't see this podcast. Uh, she's, gonna, uh, <laughs> she's just going to bin all the coffee and I won't yeah, to drink it anymore. She it. Went, I want you to stay calm. <laughs> yeah, really. Do I, is that what you feel then? Oh, so she's she's, she's yeah. going to say that. No, I mean, I agree. You know, I said to you the other day, like, you know, again, so I, I can just tell you my experience. Um, coffee in excess of, like, so two cups, say no problem. When it, when it went four and above, I was, I was angry. It made me stressed and I knew it, mm. but I liked it and I didn't want to stop. And that's the thing with addiction, right? That's the thing with addiction. You know it. But the reason you won't change is because you'll just like the buzz more than the thought of stopping um, and, and, and benefiting your health. So, yeah, yeah sorry, you'll, you'll favour the buzz over your health is what I'm saying. So, I, for example, with the steroids, I favoured the way I looked and what I wanted people to see me as. Mm. I favoured that over my health. Literally, I would have actually analysed that in my head. And at that time, because I was so distracted and such an angry man, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be skinny. Uh, I want people to. 
I want people to look at me and think a certain way. I want to be a certain way. And, you know, it wasn't a vanity. It wasn't a vanity. It wasn't a vanity because I was really insecure. The steroid thing was born out of insecurity. It wasn't a vanity thing, but I became like, no, I have to be like this and I want to be like this. And I don't give a shit if I, if I have, if something happens to me, something happens to me because it's not fair that my genetics are, I'm skinny. It's not fair. Hmm. Like, you know, fuck you, God. Like, you don't make me skinny. I'm going to make myself big. And like, I think, you know, I'm doing the right, you know, it's just, I was had a stupid mentality. So I favored, I favored the look over my health when it came to the drugs and being addicted and not being able to come off that. I, I, I wanted to enjoy myself and I felt cheated like that I couldn't enjoy myself. I felt my health and my mind deteriorating and I, I felt, well, that's not fair. I've got to enjoy myself. So I'm not stopping. Mm. Like I have to be all right. I'll have to be fine. I'll have to think, you know? So I think that's what we all do. We, we This why bad habits can turn into addictions because I think what we do is we lie to ourselves and we, we find a reason why we can do it. We, we, ju we find a justification. We find a justification. Um, and then once you reach, once you reach the level of say heroin addiction, um, and, um, crack addiction, say two of the worst ones, I suppose. And when you look at sugar addiction on, on the full blown effect of say, like, uh, and someone obese that is literally mm -hmm. being monitored and on the verge of death, you know, serious problems. That's a different level. And when you get to that level, there's a hell of a lot of psychological damage done, which, which I reached that level because by the time I had dismissed my bollocks for so long and lied to myself for so long, too much psychological damage had been done. And then I had to have my wake-up call. Unfortunately for me, it done good. I reached rock bottom. And for me, then the only way was up. Some people reach rock bottom and then they dig some more and they try and find an even lower point and then they end up dead. And that's, un and that's the unfortunate thing it is. And so, yeah, on the note then of, of addiction and bad habits, they are hard to break. They can be broken as the unstoppable mindset message says, fight, you have to fight. You have to find some strength. If you value your life, and if you care about the people around you and, and, and you know, and their feelings, which is all, all what I kind of had in my mind, then you, you find some way to get around it. Mm. You have to find some way to get around it. Otherwise the end result, bad habits and addictions, the end result is not good and it never is good. And I've only seen disaster. Mm.